Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore issues and ideas that matter to the LCC Galaxy in our classrooms and on campus, and to see how the work of our stars connects with the community and how the community connects with us. Today, I have three guests joining me to talk about two very different waking activities that can help improve students' academic performance. And I mentioned waking because sleeping, of course, is something that is crucial to academic performance. But we're going to focus on these two other activities. And I want to welcome Mary Crows, who is an Associate Dean in LCC's Health and Human Services Division. Thanks, Mary, for being here. Thank you for having me. And Karen Hicks is LCC's Director of Assessment in the Center of Data Sciences at LCC. I'm Melissa. Hi. And together, they've led a team researching the impact of cardio activity on academic success. Also joining us is Dr. Jonathan Tenbrink, or Dr. J, as his music students know him. He's the professor and program faculty chair of the music program. And he has studied and spoken about the positive impact of playing music on many aspects of life, from longevity to decision-making to academic performance. So music and exercise are two great ways of engaging, and I want us to talk about what they have in common and how they differ, and really, really, how do they help students with their academic work. It's all going on in the brain as well as the body, but let's start with the brain, and let's start with music. What happens to your brain on music, John? Oh, so many wonderful things. Uh, so when you're when you're playing music, and I mean as a performer, as a musician who's creating the thing, it's going to be different than when you're someone who's say listening listening in the car or in a dark room by yourself and trying to elevate your mood. Um, listening to music has profound impacts by itself. When you play it, now we're engaging both hemispheres of the brain. We're looking at creativity in addition to problem solving. We're looking at anticipation. We're looking at how are we going to build patterns and recognize patterns, and we're looking to diffuse smaller and smaller and smaller bits of information and then rebuild them together using our fine motor skills to do so to create the music that we want. And so it's really activating uh, and giving a workout to virtually every center of the brain at the same time. And it's not just those listening skills or the you want to be the creative uh, individual that most people associate with being a musician, uh, but it's those fine motor skills, it's the concentration centers, it's the linguistic centers that really get impacted quite heavily. And that was, those can have profound impacts on your ability uh, in the classroom for math. Profound impacts for someone who say English is a second language now in the classroom here in America uh, and having difficulty distinguishing the difference between uh, uh, we'll say pet and bet, which have very, very similar sounds, but they're just slightly different. And we want to be able to, to differentiate those things to better understand or to more quickly understand. Uh, and those are some of the, the, the quick, here's the academic uh, impact that playing uh, an instrument or, or singing or being the active musician can have in the brain. So that, when you say fine motor skills, you're talking about the actual manipulation of an instrument, whether it's a, a guitar or a keyboard that you have to be able to, to, to physically play that, not just sit back with headphones on and enjoy a song? Uh, the short answer is yes. The longer answer is, but it gets even better than that. Because if you have trained in any any sort of meaningful way, and you don't have to be good at it, but if you have trained on that instrument, even as a singer, and now you listen to something that you're familiar with, there is a muscular response. There is a, a, a an electric signal that will go to the, the, the muscles involved in creating that sound in the first place. So if I'm a guitar player and I'm hearing that riff that I've practiced 75,000 times, uh, and now I hear somebody else playing it, there will be a stimulus to all the muscle groups involved in making that sound myself, even wow. if I'm not making it. And that, that response is happening in the brain as well. So yes, you have to be playing, but the listening part of it, once we get to that level, still has an impact, which is really fun. That makes sense. And and you mentioned being able to distinguish between sounds, for example, uh, between two words that, that are really similar for 
for example, somebody who for whom English is a second language, how does music help with that? It's a linguistic center, and it's being able to differentiate the sounds that we're hearing, especially different sounds in the midst of chaos. So when, you, when you're breaking down as a musician, where does my part fit within everybody else's? We're finding those patterns, we're finding those minute differences, and so it attunes our, our listening center, it attunes our linguistic center to be able to find those smaller and smaller differences so we can spot them uh, more readily. Okay. So as far as exercise, how, and, and so what's going on in the brain when you're playing music, how does what's going on in the brain when you're exercising relate and differ? Sure. There's a lot of similarities there. Um, one of the activities that we do with our students and with our faculty and staff here is what we call brain breaks. So we're specifically asking these people to cross their midlines when they're exercising. Cross their midlines, meaning? So, meaning if you were to cut me in half from head to toe and split me into the right and left side, and I cross that right and left side, I'm now engaging both sides of my brain. So that left and right hemisphere. That is what stimulates the hippocampus. Um, and what's the hippocampus? The hippocampus is a gland in the brain where memory and learning take place. Um, one of our psychology instructors would use this in her class, and she'd say it'd be like a hippo walking across campus, and that helped her students remember what the hippocampus I was. I love that. It, yeah, it, it's a great, because you can picture it, right? You can see a big old hippo charging through LCC's <laughs> campus. Um, everybody knows exercise, cardiovascular exercise, running, biking, walking. It helps us physically. I think that's a well-known Thing. I also think people are understanding it helps us mentally with depression and anxiety. But I think the piece that they're missing is the effect that it has on the brain and the results that we're seeing here at LCC for our students um, that are now seeing increases in their grade point average. So they're seeing their grades go up when they perform that cardiovascular exercise. And that's a study that we've done since 2017. We have over 14,000 participants in that. Um, John, Karen, and I have talked, and we know that music and physical activity has that cross and that effect on the brain, and how can we work together and partner and really make our students learn. He talked about the concentration, the abstract reasoning, like all the great things that are happening in the brain while listening to music or performing physical activity. So there's a lot of great crossover there that can just help our students and even our employees if we're promoting employee wellness as well. Definitely. So tell me a little bit more about that study. How how did you come to to start it in the first place? Had you done some research and, and had some inclination that this would be worthy of time and effort? Sure. Great question. Uh, we had an administrator at the time, Tiller Landick, that read a book from Dr. John Rady, whose research is all in exercise in the brain and the effects that it has. And there's more and more coming out um, with Alzheimer's, dementia, people that may have attention deficit, like a lot of great things. So he has, it's called Spark, super easy read. I recommend it to everybody um, that really explains how the brain is affected with the physical activity. Tiller read the book, shared it with her colleagues. And then one of our other colleagues, Amy Stokes, actually wrote her um, master's thesis on this and did a short survey of LCC students here. And because of that feedback, we decided to pilot a program um, in the fall of 2016 with one of our courses called Total Fitness. It's a two-credit course that we house right in our fitness center here at LCC. And we asked these students to perform 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise and then go take a hard test exam or give a speech. We didn't tell them what class. We wanted these students to pick the class that was hard for them. So it did not have to be a health and human services class. It could have been a math class. It could have been an English class, a psychology class. And from that survey when they reported back 
we did see that their test scores were increasing. And we thought, hmm, we're on to something here. And through program review here at the college, um, we had Dr. Prostowski, as our provost at the time, had heard the information and said, you need to do more. You know, quit with the pilot. This needs to be, you need to launch. So we decided to launch our research study. We worked with our IRB here on campus and have the IRB is the. I'm going to let Karen oh, give the, that's the <laughs> institutional review board. So that's our governing body to make sure that we're doing ethical research, right? That we're not doing anything that would harm the students in the classroom. In particular, let's say a student could not participate or did not want to participate. We want to offer alternatives to the student and make sure it doesn't affect their grade in the course. So it's just a review board to make sure that we're doing the study really ethically. I understand. Yeah. So from there, we just launched our survey. It's a quick eight question survey. We're asking them, um, what was your grade normally before a test? What was your grade after you applied the physical activity? Um, how hard did you wor work out light, medium to hard? Um, how long did you wait until you apply? Like, did you wait 30 minutes and then take your test? Did you wait an hour and 20 minutes and then go take your test? And the one thing that we are making sure that we emphasize, and Melissa, you mentioned this earlier, um, this doesn't replace studying. <laughs> this doesn't replace <laughs> sleep. Like we all know we have to have our eight hours of sleep. This doesn't replace um, eating healthy. There's so many things that we have to keep doing, but this is just another application that can help with that grade point average. That's wonderful. Karen, what um, has been your involvement as a uh, uh, director of assessment. Mm -hmm. So Mary mentioned that they had this initial idea in the pilot and Dr. Prostowski said, go big, bring it scope. And that's when they reached out to the Center for Data Science to partner with us to engage in a more formal college-wide study of the research. So I became involved in the summer of 2017 um, they already had the idea for the research design. They just needed someone to help kind of crunch the numbers and put the data together and the plan together. So we started to administer the surveys in the summer of 17. Mary mentioned we're over 14,000 now. Students have responded That's to that impressive. survey. So every semester we collect the surveys. We analyze them by the semester because you could have a funky semester, maybe something like COVID, you know, something exactly. could happen. We're looking at by semester, by academic year, and then for the totality of the study. We look at it the three different lens we look at the study to see, are we seeing any changes? Are we seeing the results are steady? And what we're noticing is no matter how we look at it, the results are consistent. I'm curious, John, if, if you've considered or if you've heard of similar studies, considered doing such a study here on campus with music or heard of studies elsewhere that involve this kind of analysis well, of music? There have been so many studies on the impact of musical training uh, and academic achievement um, most of them, though, are not looking at immediate impact. It's not if I, uh, say, play music for 20 minutes and then go take my test, what's the impact on that test? To my knowledge, and I haven't done a deep dive on it, that hasn't been done. So what we normally are seeing is what's the effect of uh, playing music, practicing music over time, and finding that that 15-week window winds up being uh, the sweet spot to really see noticeable and permanent uh, changes uh, to the brain and how the brain functions. 15 weeks. 15 weeks. Well, how perfect is that for right? a semester? For, for a semester, <laughs> exactly. Did yeah. an academician create that timeline? <laughs> they may have. May have. So that, that, was in, that study in particular was looking at... Um, uh, elementary and, and middle school students uh, that had um, issues with dyslexia and spelling. Uh, and they found that 15 weeks was all it took to see noticeable improvements in the musician group versus the non-musician um, group uh, in, in that particular trial. Uh, it was pretty fantastic to see. Uh, and they also noticed between that and then three or four others um, who were, were also looking at 
how, how good do you have to be to see the effect uh, and discovered mm -hmm. you don't have to be a good musician to see the effect. You just have to do the thing. All right. Mm -hmm. Just participate. Uh, just uh, get involved. Just make some music. And even if you're terrible at it, you're still going to see that positive effect of having tried the thing. And that was pretty fantastic to see. Now, for us at LCC in particular, um, when, I, when I got here, I was very interested in ways that I could connect music broad, more broadly across the college. Uh, and I, and in fall of, I think it was fall of 17. Because, uh, yeah, interestingly, yeah. right when you started your study, that's when, when you uh, uh, joined uh, uh, faculty here. Yeah, yeah, that's when I got to campus and, and wanted to connect the music program, which um, at the time wasn't horribly well known on the campus, uh, more broadly, and asked Dana Cogswell, um, who thankfully helped me through the process of figuring out what I was really asking. She's wonderful. Uh, and, and we did a data poll looking at people on campus who were non-music majors but participated in our, in our music ensembles and how did they do. And we discovered uh, notably that there was a bump in GPA. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it was either a, a third of a, a point or a half of a point uh, increase. If someone was involved in, say, concert choir for a semester, they tended to have a higher GPA than those who were not involved in the music ensemble relative to the population. Uh, we also noticed a 20% increase in retention and a 20% increase in completion for those who were involved in a music ensemble versus those who weren't. And that's pretty fantastic. Now, we haven't done a full actual study on this to really track it in real time, but that's a data pull over. I think it was a 10-year period um, preceding my time uh, in 2017. Okay. Uh Jumping back to the the exercise part of it, because I'm, I'm, you know, different things are happening in your body when you're doing exercise. you whether it's it's strength training or cardio. Then playing musician, though, there's certainly, depending on the instrument you play, you need some strength for some of those heavier instruments and and uh, uh, stamina. Um, but different things are happening. Does it matter what kind of exercise you're doing? That's you're great, nodding yes. Yes, that's a great <laughs> question. I'm glad you asked it because, yes, the research is behind the cardiovascular. So the walking, biking, running, elliptical, Stairmaster, anything that's going to get your heart rate up. Um, is that because of the oxygen? That the oxygen, into, yeah, increase, everything. With weight training, they're starting to study it, but there's not a lot of research on it yet. There may be some impact because we do know your heart rate goes up a little bit, but we do know that during the cardiovascular, the heart rate goes up, typically stays up for that extended period of time. With strength strength training, you know you have a little bit of a break when you rest or change muscle groups. So all of the research right now is the cardiovascular exercise. And it's one of the questions we will ask students on the survey is what type of cardio did you do? We want to ensure that they have the fidelity to the research. Are they applying the criteria? So when we look at the numbers, we're looking at them in context. So she has three criteria to her study. One is it has to be cardio. Two, it has to be for about 20 or 30 minutes in duration, and you want it to be about 30 to 45 minutes before you do the test or exam. So very different than what John's describing, the timeline for that. Mm -hmm. So when we look at the data, I'm going to also look at how many criteria did the student apply and adhere, and what's that relationship then to the student outcome. And what we're finding is the more you apply the criteria, the higher the outcome is going to be. Right. So if you still apply just one criteria, you'll get a little bit of a bump. But if you get all three, you're going to get a larger bump. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, do you have interaction with students after uh, this? And I'm curious what their response is to see, you know, like, wow, look at, look at how well I did. Do they have that kind of reaction? So they do. We have an open-ended question at the end of the survey that they can choose to provide feedback, and a lot do. Mm -hmm. And we got some great feedback about the increase in focus um, they felt like they could just think. Um, they felt like their test anxiety had kind of dissipated. Um, 
So a lot, a lot of those similar buzzwords that they're reporting back. And then we also have a wonderful video on our website about a nursing student that um, we would encourage everybody to watch that explains it almost perfectly as to what happened with her and her test anxiety. So her name's Lisa and it is on our website. I shared that link with you. So I'm encouraging everybody to go watch her video because I don't want to steal her thunder. It's a, <laughs> it's a goosebumps three minute video that everybody needs to watch. I, well, I've, I'll I've include watched the video and it is absolutely worth watching. Oh, I've, I've got to see it. And I'll include the no, uh, the links that you all share in the notes that'll Thank be you. online for, for this episode. So everybody can access those. Um, that's, that's really impressive. And, um, it's, it, you know, that's kind of, it's interesting because that's an immediate, uh, improvement. Whereas you said, John, it's an improvement over time when you're playing music. I mean, there certainly is immediate, um, reward when you're playing music or listening to music of, you know, generally if you're improving too, there's the satisfaction of that or the experience of, of being with other people, um, and playing music together. Right. Yeah. The, the immediate impact largely that, that we know that has been studied and demonstrated is the emotional regulation, right? And, and whether you're listening to music or you're playing that music, can you regulate yourself in a better way, um, immediately following and during? And yes, you can. That's been demonstrated. Uh, we haven't been able to demonstrate long-term is there an immediate impact other than we can see some fMRI, um, studies that can show the brain is lighting up in different ways immediately following, but that hasn't necessarily been directly tied to achievement following uh, unless we look at over the course of 15 weeks do we see that progression and we, we can prove that at this point right what's fmri uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's magnetic resonance but, but i don't oh. know what the f stands for okay um, it's I'm a, gonna look to my HHS colleague to possibly. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna. Okay, I won't throw you to the deep end. Uh, <laughs> so it's some kind of physical. Uh, it, it's a brain scan. It's okay, a, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I hadn't heard that hmm. that term before. So, yeah, that's interesting. There was a uh, John. I know you've done um, talks here on campus about this um, for faculty and staff, and there was there was uh, some research that you you quoted from. Um, a uh, faculty member at Illinois State University, Don Davis, and she said learning a musical instrument has comparable impacts on the brain to a full body workout, especially pertaining to executive function. And I know we're talking about uh, different results, different activities, but that there's there's something comparable. Can you speak to that executive function aspect of music? Well, as the person who used music as my first uh, medication for ADHD, uh, th that's your executive function right there. So we're looking at memory concentration, the ability to, to do the thing when you know you need to do the thing and to follow through on it. Um, that's really what we're talking about. There, there are, there's uh, a short-term memory and a long-term memory component to it. And in, in every aspect of executive function, when we're talking about participating in music, not just listening, but participating in music as an active uh, musician, we're seeing increases to executive function across the board. Some, some of them more strongly than others, but in every single aspect of what we call this grouping of things called executive function, playing music will make you your, your better version of self. So there's the similarity, the connection really is the involvement in either of these activities that has a positive impact on academic performance, how they work, the fact that they work on the brain is similar, but exactly how they work, the amount of time that they take is, is different, yet it's all here at LCC, and you're doing brain breaks uh, in HHS. Those are little activities that that how to brain break. And what I'm what I'm going to get at, and what I want to hear from each of you is, how can this be further incorporated to to benefit more students at LCC, whether it's music or exercise or music and exercise together. Absolutely. So on our website, we have what we call brain breaks, which are two to three minute 
literal breaks. If you have five-minute break in your class, you could beam it up on the screen, and it's just a movement break. So this is for faculty to say, we're going to do a brain break? or Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So any faculty member? Any faculty member. Um, we encourage it, again, for our employees, too. Um, we also have what we call activity breaks. So those are 10-minute videos that are already prepared. And that would be if you, say, have a four-hour class and you give your class a longer break, um, you could beam that up on your screen and have your class engage in a 10-minute activity break. So they're moving around. We have crazy, what we call crazy jacks, so they're doing jumping jacks and crossing the midline. And um, But, yeah, they're all free. They're on our website, and they're anybody can access them at any time. And John's uh, pulling my heartstrings here because um, I have two children that are medically diagnosed with ADHD as well. And so this is something that we've incorporated at home, not just here uh, for professional reasons, but I do this at home. And I was telling him through an email a while ago that when we did go home for COVID and we were doing online learning for two small children, we always had classical music <laughs> playing in the background. And then between subjects, they would do some type of physical activity because of them being able to focus in on the material um, and really get that abstract reasoning and, reasoning and concentration. So when he said that, I was like, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> um, so I've, I've applied it at home with the music and the physical activity, and that's why it's like I would love to do more here on campus and how can we partner and make this a thing, like yes. music and fitness. Like this, this could be a thing, and everybody could benefit from it. Absolutely. And a great place of intersection, I think we could start with that, is looking at what are you doing when you're doing your exercise and how many people listen to something? Mm -hmm. What is that? Are you listening to music? What kind of music are you listening to? Is it music that you chose or somebody else chose? I mean, there, there's a part of the study right there just of the listening aspect because, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the research is pretty clear on the motivational aspect or motivational possibility of listening to music while you're exercising. And when you listen to the music that you like, that you choose, mm -hmm. you're going to exercise harder, longer, faster, uh, and get more out of it um, because of that. So that's going to speak to the, the the emotional aspect in, in some capacity. Um, in terms of how do you, how could we get more involved in, in music and in general, um, I, I will say one, as you're studying, use music. And I don't mean just listen to it. I mean, those, those acronyms that we all need to learn or those, here's a list of things I need to memorize, make a song out of it, oh. drum a rhythm mm -hmm. and, and speak it pace in a certain, you know, tempo. So you can, you know, have, have that sense of, of continuity while you're trying to memorize things. Now, how much of that is the actual music? How much of that is uh, activating the brain, you know, kind of priming it to recognize patterns and anticipate things. How much of that is, it's just another part to, to encode into the memory. So now we're pulling that file out. It's got more markers on it, more keywords, so to speak. Uh, that could be an aspect, certainly. Um, but that, those are easy ways to get started. Same thing in the classroom. Faculty members, faculty members, please utilize music in some capacity. Make a silly song. Have the students dance a little bit. You'd be amazed what, what kind of difference that can make. Use that as your brain break if you want. Uh, but then beyond that, if you want to see a more mar marked uh, change, let's get involved. We have so many possible music ensembles on this campus, uh, both for credit, for zero credit, and just students who want to get together and have a good time. Um, get involved in that way, and you will get that long-term effect that we talk about. Uh, earlier in the podcast. Absolutely. And those ensembles, again, one, one thing that strikes me also about both of uh, the, the, these both exercise and uh, music is that both can be intimidating. I mean, how many times have I like popped in the gym and said, oh, I want to make an appointment and talk with somebody about starting a program. And they're like, yes, please do. And then I don't. Or, you know, <laughs> I get a new, a gift, I'm gifted an instrument and uh, it's, it's there in a 
drawer uh, because it's small, like a harmonica. Or, <laughs> but I've I've been gifted bigger instruments too. But there's a you know it, there's a bit of a hurdle to get over if you haven't had that experience. And I do I just want to echo you, John, um, in terms of the ensembles here, having participated in them and not considering myself a musician. They are open to everyone at every level of experience and the non credit. That's great. The zero credit option, it's, it's you know, because for a whole lot of people, it's not going to be on a pathway. But, uh, you know, otherwise, it's it's very good. We have just a couple minutes left, and I want to give each of you an opportunity to share, uh, you know, if you have a, a one additional thought or comment that you'd like to make as we wrap up. I'd like to add that we've expanded our research study this last year, and we'd love to have more faculty involved in that. So we mentioned the survey we've run so far, the 14,000 students, is a survey, which is students' perceptions, which is good. That's a good entry into the research. But we'd like to get into the direct evidence of the actual tests that are being done in the classroom. So if you have that killer test or that test that students are challenged with, this is an easy intervention to add to it, and then we can follow that data to see, is this intervention supporting student success with that really killer test that you have? So I would encourage faculty to get involved and contact our fitness and kinesiology faculty to get involved in the study. Great, thanks Karen. Sure, and I just would like to share, um, you know, music in here at LCC, it's free. Our, all of our fitness facilities are open to students and employees for free. Just bring your star card for entry. Uh, they are also staffed by degreed and uh, certified trainers. So we have people you can work with because we do understand a big piece of this is the intimidation. It's the hardest part is walking through the door. So we'd encourage you to do that. Work with one of our instructors to get you started on a plan. Bring your music. <laughs> we encourage you to bring in the music. Um, but that would be the biggest thing is please come in and see us. Um, it is free. And one last thing is the increase that we've seen has been one grade band jump, meaning our students are improving by 5%. So if they're typically an 80% student, they're jumping to an 85% student. So it's it's worth it. That's a big, big improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Mary. John, 30 seconds. 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, just do the thing. Uh, you don't have to be good to get the results. You just need to try. That is great advice. Thank you. Thank you all three so much for being here and great conversation. John Tenbrink with LCC Music Program, Mary Crows with Health and Human Services, and Karen Hicks with the Center for Assessment. I'm Melissa Kaplan. You've been listening to LCC Connect and this podcast, Galaxy Forum. If you'd like to hear other episodes of this podcast and all the LCC Connect programming, visit lccconnect.org. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College Performing Arts features several events and presentations throughout the year. Find more information by visiting lcc.edu slash showinfo. By utilizing interactive activities, the Youth Summer Camp at LCC gives kids in grades 2 through 12 the chance to explore science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Scholarship opportunities are available. Details can be found at lcc.edu slash serious fun. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Melissa Ford Luckin. Rosalie Petrowski. Susan Seraph and Jess. 
editors for the Washington Square Review. Washington Square On Air showcases the poetry and fiction of the latest edition of LCC's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, read by the poets, authors, and editors themselves. Expect the unexpected as our contributors express experience and fantasy with humor, imagination, poetic license, irony, and passion. If you love language at its most original, please join us in our audio town square to celebrate a community of writers spanning from around the world to Lansing. Lansing. Hello, I'm Susan Serafin Jess. I am the poetry editor of Washington Square. Review, which is the English Department um, literary publication for Lansing Community College. And we have begun doing a series of interviews with the poets and authors who we've selected to appear in our journal. And we haven't published the 2023 volume yet. We've accepted all of the contributors, but we still it's still in production. However, we wanted to get started in interviewing so that uh, our listeners could experience some of the, the wonderful poetry that is, is to come. So the first person I selected is a poet named J.C. Riley, and I love her poetry. I love it so much that I copied it in cursive, which is what I do when I want to, um, I want to kind of feel and absorb the poetry. And when I asked her for her bio, I was amazed. And I'm going to read what she sent me, and then I'll ask her a few questions about it. So she is the author of four books, including What Magic May Not Alter, and that is magic spelled with a K. And it is a Southern Gothic novel, but it's not just a Southern Gothic novel. It's a Southern Gothic novel in verse. And most recently, she's written a book called Amo y Canto, which is winner of the Sow's Ear Poetry Prize, which I guess that makes your book a silk purse if it's a Sow's Ear <laughs> Prize. Um, now here, I, I don't want to be you know too gushy, but my goodness, you have been nominated for a Pushcart Prize and a Pulitzer Prize. I don't think I've ever met anybody who is nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, so we're going to put a pin on that and come back to it. Um, you're and Georgia author of the year. You are the managing editor of the Atlanta Review, and you crochet, you play tennis, and you practice Italian, all in Marietta, Georgia. But right now, you're at a writer's colony in Tennessee. So um, tell me a little bit about the Pulitzer Prize, and then we'll move on to some other questions. <laughs> um, don't get too excited about the Pulitzer Prize. I am excited. <laughs> Well, I mean, you can nominate anything for a Pulitzer. I'm happy it was nominated, but, you know, you could probably nominate a hot dog for it. Well, I doubt that. Uh, <laughs> so what, which work was it that was nominated for the, the Pulitzer? It was nominated uh, for What Magic May Not Alter, okay. my, my whole collection. Okay. All right. And is that available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. And please go buy it. <laughs> I will buy it. I intend to. I also I also have some books on sale on Amazon, and I have a couple of friends who will do no business with Amazon whatsoever. They feel like it's the evil empire, and I get that. But 
my books are mostly self-published. And for those of us who self-publish, it's a really good deal because all they do is they, they print one at a time. Back in the day, if you were self-published, you'd end up with a basement full of books that you could, <laughs> couldn't unload or sell. So, <laughs> so that's a pretty good deal. Um, so you're practicing Italian. And I noticed that your one of your novels has an Italian title, Amo e Canto. And so why are you learning Italian? Is it a love of opera? Are you going to Italy? A few years ago, I went to Italy and I had no knowledge of the language. And <laughs> that is just a really bad idea to go somewhere where you do not speak the language. I, I had somebody I was going with who did, but she wasn't always around. Um, but I fell in love with Venice. And Amoe Canto is from a quote, uh, from Joseph Brodsky, you know, I just wrote about my travels in Venice. I just loved Venice so much that um, I wrote that book. And is that book also available on Amazon? So South Air Poetry Press published it as part of their journal, but they've gone out of business. Oh, dear. So they put, I, I can absolutely send you a copy if you're interested. I'm very interested. Uh, I, Oh, I'll send you a copy. I Thank have you. a bunch of them um, that I've been trying to uh, give away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah. can, you can give one to me. I would, I would love I that. I would give one to you. So, okay. Um, well, no, right now you're at a at a writer's colony in Tennessee. Tell me a little bit about that. Who's there? How many people are there? What is your day like? It's wonderful. It's in the middle of the Tennessee hills, and it's a big farm. It's called Rockville Writers Colony, and they have a lot of free time. It's, it's not structured time, but you can just write and read, and you can interact with the other colony uh, people here, too. Um, usually, you see them in, in, in the kitchen um, or walking around. My typical day is I try to read in the morning, and I try to write in the afternoon, and then I just goof off for the evening. <laughs> we'll allow it. You can goof off in the evening. Our listeners won't be able to see it, but I'm looking at the room you're in, and it looks like there's a four-poster bed with a canopy and a fireplace, and everything is painted white. It, it looks lovely. It is. It's, you can't really see, but it, I call it my princess bed because I feel like a princess when I'm in it because <laughs> it's so big, and it has these beautiful white uh, drapes on it. Yeah, and the room is it's really it's comfortable, and I'm sitting at um, this wonderful antique desk that has all these little drawers and drawer poles, and um, it's a great place to write. It sounds like, and what a wonderful opportunity to be able to immerse yourself in your writing, which is what all writers long to do, and we don't always have the time to do it, especially when we have day jobs. Especially now, I'm going to be a little bitter here. When you're teaching people to write essays and you spend all your time reading their essays. So, all right. Well, I'm glad you're having that opportunity, and I'm sure that you're writing beautiful poetry. So, speaking of your poetry, I wonder if you would um, read some poems to us. And you sent us five poems, and at least three of them are populated with animals in intriguing ways. So I, I don't know if we'll have time for all three, but I selected How the Heart Works, which has morning doves, 
and Lavender Harvest, which has wild horses and bees, and if time permits, Existential, which has a blue wolf of despair. So I wonder if you, if we could begin with you reading How the Heart Works, please. I'd love to. Thank you. How the Heart Works. Inside my heart lives a morning dove cooing, cooing. Where is my mate? Will he come for me? My mate roosts in another's heart. Will he call to me? This is all mad dreaming, sudden as a lake. This is all mad dreaming. One time at Sadding Lake, I urged my dove to fly far and leave me, and I died. It was to save the bird that I urged her to leave. I died until she flew back, pity in her eyes like copper coins. She resettled herself in chambers, pity like copper coins turning blood to snow. Still my mate, he does not come. My blood turns to snow, and still he does not come for me. A nest is lined with feathers and ice. I prepare for his arrival. A nest lined with feathers like ice. Inside my heart is a morning dove, sighing, sighing. You know, morning doves are kind of irresistible symbols for poets, I think. They're beautiful, and there's that word morning with a U, which is, you know, enables us to write a poem about some sadness or some grief. So I wondered if you could tell me about the genesis of this poem, how the idea came to you, and, and so forth. So most of my poems tend to be narrative, and this poem is, is sort of narrative-esque, um, but I, I love morning doves. I, you know, poets and birds, they just, we can't help ourselves. But I, I sort of have always thought about morning doves as, as being special and being connected to them in an interesting way. And as I was saying, I, you know, I, I tend to write narrative poems. The form of how the heart works is actually based sort of on Jericho Brown's duplex form, um, except I use it more to, to write a narrative. And if you don't know what a duplex is, it's kind of like an exploded sonnet mixed with a guzzle. So it uses repetition. It's, it's 14 lines. But I guess how it came to me was I wanted to write a poem about doves and love. So that's kind of its genesis. Well, um, I had not heard of that form. I was pretty sure that there was some kind of form working here that I was not aware of um, because there, because of the the looping repetition and the and the recursion, I knew that they were you were working with some kind of framework, and I love it because it reminds me of why I love Shakespeare's sonnets, for example. How within this tight form, you can say so much. There can be so much emotion, even though it, you would think that it's restrictive, but somehow paradoxically, it is freeing. So um, I also love morning doves and get very angry when periodically some people in the Michigan legislature want to make it so that you can hunt morning doves. I don't know why, any, I don't know why anybody would want to do that. Uh, I also love watching birds. And yesterday I was watching uh, a male cardinal feed his gal. He just kept taking seed from the feeder and feeding her. They're obviously in the courtship stage. Um, Here's a question. It's probably a silly question. Is there such a place as Sadding Lake, or is that just a repetition of the sound, sudden as a lake? It was, I made it up. You made it up. 
yeah, it's definitely for the sound. We call that poetic license, and it's just fine. Yeah. Right. Well, I love the way that you play with sound because I like to do that too. In fact, sometimes if, if a poem seems too, uh, too prosy for me, I'll start playing with sounds and repeating sounds, which, which you do uh, beautifully. Thank you. Uh, I also, one thing I noticed was, is that this is this dove who, f who has flown away as an errant morning dove because they usually mate for life. So this is a, this one is an anomaly. Um, okay. Yeah. And I also wondered, have you read uh, John Keats's poem called Song? I might have way back in the day when I was an English major. But offhand, I, I'm also terrible at memory, so I might have. Yeah, well, memory only gets harder, and I'm approaching a birth. <laughs> I'm approaching a birthday. I'm not happy about approaching. Uh, there was a time, I think about 30 years ago, when one summer I decided every day I would sit outside in the sun and memorize a sonnet. And I did. And I, I can maybe remember three of them now and, and not very well. So memory is, is a struggle. But I'm just going to read this poem really quickly because your poem, I, I think it, I was about to say dovetails, which is a, a pod. <laughs> so this is called Song by John Keats. I had a dove and the sweet dove died, and I have thought it died of grieving. Oh, what could it grieve for? It was tied with the silken thread of my own hands weaving. Sweet little red feet, why did you die? Why would you leave me, sweet dove? Why? You lived alone in the forest tree. Why, pretty thing, could you not live with me? I kissed you oft and gave you white peas. Why not live sweetly as in the green trees? Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. And your poem is... It's, it's a different situation. This poem by John Keats is about, it sounds to me like somebody who's been, been a captive or controlled, whereas in your poem, it's the person who's been left behind, who is waiting for a dove to return. So it's a sad poem. But the next poem that I'm going to ask you to read, and this is one thing I admire about your poetry, is that you, you can shift mood. And the next poem is Lavender Harvest. If you would read that for us, please. Yes, Lavender Harvest. Oh, that our garden is awash with lavender. The scent runs like wild horses. I breathe it everywhere. Like wild horses, the scent tramples me. I smell them everywhere, these spike flowers. My sense is full and dizzy, my palms purpling. My senses grow full and dizzy as I handle buds, palms purpling. I'll set them in jelly jars with water, dry the rest for sachets. I'll set them in jelly jars in the window and sachet from bunch to bunch, like a honeybee nosing pollen. Bunch to bunch I'll switch, like a honeybee nosing pollen, to fix bouquets to surprise you, cheer up our little house. So little surprises you these days. Cheer up. Our little house will look like a walk through Provence, and we can love under a counterpane of Provence's blooms. We can love. Oh, how our garden is awash with lavender. Mm. I love it. It comes full circle. Oh, that our garden is awash with lavender, and ends, oh, how our garden is awash 
with lavender. And this is such a, a shift in mood um, from the previous poem. This poem, to me, is full of joy, even ecstasy, really. I mean, you're talking about feeling dizzy. And when you say that the wild horses trample me, I'm not getting the feeling that that's a a deadly thing. It's more like being ravished by the wild horses of of the senses. Um, And then you shift to, you start addressing somebody called you uh, in the fifth line, or fifth stanza, I guess it is. And you say, so little surprises you these days. And it makes me feel as though there's somebody whom you want to see also ravished by all this, all this lavender and, and all these senses. So these are gifts that you're putting in, in the jelly jars to give to this person. Right. Yeah. Um, I often will talk to a you. I don't know who that you is, but I think I was trying to, trying to bring, you know, a lavender is something else I love and trying to bring it to the reader as well as the, the you of the poet's imagination. And I do, I do think that the horses are a kind of ravishing um, experience, um, but not, not a trampling in the bad, <laughs> not the trampling in the bad sense at all. No, it's, it, it is, um, I didn't get, I didn't feel that way. I felt as though the person, it's like the word awash, you know, when something washes over you and you're, you're overcome with, with ecstasy or with joy. And yes, I also felt as though you were presenting me, the reader, with, with all this lavender. And I, I guess I have to ask, do you grow lavender? I, I wish I did. Um, I have a black thumb and can grow nothing. So if I had a garden that I wouldn't kill, I would definitely grow lots of lavender. And also, you know, this is actually part of the project that I'm working on now. And lavender is a theme throughout. So this stands alone itself, but it's also part of a, it's part of a collection. Part of a collection that is about lavender or uses the word lavender or how it so? Uses lavender. It's, 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 um, it's my current collection um, and lavender is a theme, but. I also just love lavender and wish, wish, wish I could grow it. Oh, you needn't apologize. I knew there was something else we had in common. <laughs> I'm, I'm no gardener either. In fact, I, I'm amazed how many people do garden because to me it seems like a very difficult thing to do. I also really don't like spiders. And so anything that, bring, <laughs> anything that brings me in proximity with spiders is not my favorite pastime. But I do, I do wistfully admire other people with gardens. I'm kind of lucky because I rent, and the house that I moved into, already there was a, a lilac bush and a rose of Sharon bush and some daffodils come up and violets and periwinkle are already in the yard. So there's a lot that's just kind of running riot that doesn't need any tending. So I still have something to look at. It's wonderful. Uh, my yard... I've planted things that do not last. <laughs> I'm a murderous plant person. Oh, dear. Well, perhaps perhaps you could write a, a book of poetry about the various plants that you've murdered. <laughs> what, which makes me wonder, have you ever, have you ever um, been tempted to write? You've, you've written Southern Gothic. Is there ever murder in your novels, your novel in verse? Yes, there's a big murder in there, um, 
And actually, I had sent the, when I was trying to get blurb for that book, I had sent it to a poet that I, I thought, you know, was interested in place and he could read no more. Uh, it was too graphic. It was too gory. I guess it is, but it was all sort of in the context of magic. And so I, I was surprised when she said no more. I, I don't know that I have uh, a big appetite for murder in my writing, but there's certainly one there. And actually, the collection I'm working on now, also there's a murder, so it must just be part of my thinking. Well, uh, I have written a book of nonfiction. It's called Wild Horses. Speaking of wild horses, a, a crime revisited, and it's about a, something that happened when I was a teenager and, um, well, we won't get off on that, but, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't murder. It was self-defense. That's all I'll say for now. Okay. Well, I think we do have time to read the third poem, Existential. Would you read that for us, please? I'd love to. Existential. I keep the blue wolf of despair on my shelf. He sings off tune at night when I braid my hair. He sings off tune or whines as I braid my hair. He creeps down from the shelf and walks the stairs, unlike a wraith. Toenails tap against the floor. He stares at me when he re-enters the room, waiting to be tossed a bone of memory. But if I toss that bone, his feral side awakens and I pale. His feral side brings teeth and growling and I pale. Hopelessness can tear through me like jaws. Tonight, I scratch behind his ears and at his jaw and wait quietly, and he waits quietly, thumping his tail. A pet or two, I bring him to his perch, so endeth the tail. I keep the blue wolf of despair on the shelf. You have tamed the blue wolf of despair. And I was so greedy to hear your poetry that we have run out of time. But I thank you so much for sharing the poetry with you. And I know that our listeners will love them as much as I do. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to our talented poets and authors. Until next time, this has been Washington Square On Air where we showcase selections from Lansing Community College's Literary Journal, The Washington Square Review, a publication featuring writers from the Great Lakes State, across the nation, and around the world. To find out more about The Washington Square Review, visit lcc.edu WSR. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sharing. with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship available to graduating high school seniors. Find information at lcc.edu slash hope. Military dogs keep our troops safe by sniffing out bombs and IEDs. Yet when they retire, they're too often left overseas. 
American Humane brings these heroes home and back with their handlers. To help, visit AmericanHumane.org. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Community Combos, a podcast and radio program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in Lansing and around mid-Michigan. Hey, it's Didelian once again back on the combo, and with me in the studio today is Lynn Bartley. And Lynn is the coordinator of the Peace Quest planning team, as well as the past president of the Greater Lansing United Nations Association. Thank you, Didelian. I am so glad you could come in and join me. I heard about the Peace Quest Lansing and everything you guys do, and there was a whole bunch of events, and I was like, well, okay, we definitely got to bring Lynn in to talk about this. So, first of all, I don't know that everybody's familiar with Peace Quest. And uh, could you elaborate and kind of explain what Peace Quest is here in Lansing? Sure. Peace Quest Greater Lansing is a community-wide, month-long celebration of the United Nations International Day of Peace, which is on September 21st. And about eight years ago, the Greater Lansing United Nations Association, which since 1959 celebrated International Day of Peace, reached out to community organizations to see if they wanted to take part in the celebration of International Day of Peace. And it has grown since that time. Mm -hmm. It went to a half-day celebration and extended into a full month of events. That is really cool. A whole month of September. Thank you. Uh, So if somebody wanted to get involved, what would they do? There are two websites that would be excellent starts. One would be gluna.org. That's G-L-U-N-A dot org for Greater Lansing United Nations Association, which coordinates PeaceQuest. And then there's a separate website, PeaceQuestGreaterLansing.org. Okay, and am I understanding it correctly that it is connected directly to the United Nations? That's what I'm understanding? Yes, the United Nations Association is a group of citizens that support the work of the United Nations, and ours is one chapter of about 200 in the United States, but there are also UNAs, United Nations Association, all over the world. I know September is the big month for you. And there is a lot of stuff on your calendar. What are the things that you would want to tell people about to say, hey, make sure if you miss nothing else, come join us for this. Okay, thank you. Well, I love opportunities for families to get involved in this uh, and for children to start thinking about peace. So I will mention Peace Pole Pursuit, which is uh, all of September, an opportunity to find over 25 peace poles in the Lansing area. I think we're up to about 30. Peace poles are, uh, many of them will say, may peace prevail on earth. But then on other sides of the poles, it says that same sentence in various languages. Oh, wow. Very yes. cool. And peace poles can be designed in all kinds of ways. But we include a map. 
and people can take pictures of themselves and post them, and we also give prizes. Okay, now are those things hanging around all year long, or do you put them up just purposely at this time of the year? Oh, these are peace poles that individuals and organizations have what we call planted Uh over the years, and we just have them on a map. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Besides fun things for the family, we do have some what I think are going to be amazing presentations that will be really give you food for thought. One Mm. is a national um, renowned author, David Orr, who will be coming to MSU for this Peace Quest month to speak on democracy in hotter times. Okay. What we realize is that when people's needs are met, and in this case, climate, when those who are affected by the climate crisis can have some security, Mm -hmm. greater peace in this world will come. That makes sense. Um, The Sustainable Development Goals, which um, were developed by the U.N., also called the Global Goals, include things like taking care of our climate and ending poverty and hunger, etc. So... We kind of design and accept any any events that are related to the sustainable development goals. Uh, so Democracy in Hotter Times is September 14th. Okay. Uh, we have MSU Theater Department that is presenting a premier play called I Will Never Be Okay. And that is one student's response to the uh, terrible shooting on MSU campus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's about 40-minute play that will be performed by MSU students. It's on the MSU campus, uh, two performances, all for free. By okay. the way, most of the Peace Quest events are absolutely free. Oh, wow. Very yes. cool. What else we got? We have Warrior Lawyers, which is a documentary that was made in Michigan, and the producer will be there. Uh, This is going to be on September 24th as well, but it's uh, judicial and social issues that shape Native American nations and show how nations use traditional culture and values to face challenges and promote sacred justice. And this is not just for uh, the Native, but non-Native audience. Okay. Everyone is welcome. Uh, We have the, the Salaam festival at the islamic center okay uh, that's on september 30th culture different cultures and foods will be available um and i everyone is welcome uh and i will mention that many of our houses of faith in the community are having messages on peace okay during the month of september very good these are all listed on the Peace Quest website with lots of detail. And that's uh, peacequestgreaterlansing.org. Correct. Okay. Was there anything else you wanted to hit on or are we good there? Oh, we have many other events. I mean, we have yoga for peace. We have a Chinese tea ceremony that brings harmony to your life. A lot of great stuff. Lots of great things. And again, if you want to get all the details, best way to do that is at their website. And that's peacequestgreaterlansing.org. I really appreciate you coming in and talking with me about this, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me, Dedalian. You've been listening to Community Combos, a program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in our community. To listen to this episode on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org or find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Community Combos, email us 
lcc-connect at lcc.edu. And thanks for joining the combo. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.